Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. So the topic for today's podcast was not something I had planned out weeks ago. I try to think ahead a lot. With the times changing so frequently and rapidly right now with COVID-19 and home learning and then returns to school in some areas and so forth, a lot of the decisions I have made around my podcast topics have kind of come and I've developed them quickly and presented them in short amount of time. This was the case with today's episode as well. However, I had seeds planted in my head for many months thinking I wanted to address the topic of self-regulation in children. And I just wasn't really sure when to insert that and when that would be a good fit for my listeners to hear this information. Well, I decided to go ahead and broach this topic and share with you insights into keys to children developing self-regulation this week because an article arrived in my inbox this week. And it was an article that obviously was meant to grab every parent's attention out there because it claimed that there was a skill out there that is more valuable to kids than reading and math. And that this particular skill could lower children's experience with anxiety, with it could lessen their tantrums, and at the same time, build your child's self-confidence. And I was thinking, okay, I'm hooked. That sounds really good. I wonder what skill they're referring to. And I started thinking, okay, is it developing good hygiene? Is it something like a life skill, like a child being able to be responsible for their own laundry or cooking a meal? What is the skill that would be more valuable to kids and more important than math or reading? And as I dug a little deeper to see what the article was referring to, the skill, the so-called skill, was referring to self-regulation. And the article went on to say that the skill could be taught and practiced. And then I started getting a little fishy and I scrolled a little further and realized this actually wasn't an article. It was an advertisement cloaked as an article, kind of made to have readers think that it was some type of an educational article, but no, it was actually an advertisement. And so the article slash advertisement claimed that there were particular calming exercises and worksheets and a video game that could teach your child this valuable skill of self-regulation. And I immediately was really pissed off, excuse the term. (laughs) I was like, this is such a lie. And I immediately knew how many parents 
would perhaps send their money in the direction of this advertisement thinking, oh my gosh, this is the answer. I just need to buy this program, this video game and these workshops and teach my kid these particular calming exercise and they'll finally get it. They'll finally have this skill of self-regulation. There's also a lot of it's not just this one article and this one product that it was being sold through this article. There's a lot out there that is sold to parents and educators and therapists and school counselors about ways in which you can teach self-regulation skills to kids. Things like breathing techniques, books that are children's books that parents could read or teachers could read to students that teach the skill, so-called skill, of self-regulation. Oftentimes, teachers and parents create these calm-down corners for young children with posters and reminders of steps to go through to calm oneself down. They put in lava lamps and sensory play activities for children to self-regulate. I'm not saying that talking about the ability to calm oneself down is all bad. I also don't think there's anything wrong with creating a corner with sensory activities where kids can go if they need some peace and quiet. But the idea that this is going to be the key to a child achieving the ability to regulate their own emotions is a lie, and it is misguided. This technique, these techniques might be, you know, helpful for a child who frankly has already developed self-regulation. It could be helpful for a child who already has a pretty good ability to manage their really overwhelming feelings and emotions and to be able to kind of say, oh yeah, I'm feeling really triggered right now. I'm going to go sit down over there and, and play with these sensory activities and calm myself down. But for a child who really struggles or is too young or emotionally young, that they've not developed the capacity to regulate their own emotions, These techniques don't work. They don't teach a child to be able to somehow magically be able to, in a moment of frustration, remember these steps. Have you ever gone to an exploding child and said, okay, now breathe deeply, count to 10, calm down, go to the calm down corner. If they're exploding, most children, particularly those who are more intense or who are either too young to have developed the ability to self-regulate or who are maybe highly sensitive and they're a little delayed in their development or emotionally immature and they're a bit delayed in the development of their ability to have this built-in ability to have self-regulation work for them predictably and frequently. These things just don't work. So today I'm going to dig in a little deeper And I'm going to kind of expose the facts and fiction where it comes to self-regulation and its development in children. I'm going to provide parents and educators with signs to look for that it is developing and how to encourage further development in children. And also, most importantly, how to create the conditions needed so that self-regulation can develop in your children. So the first thing I want to go into a little bit more is kind of the dispelling the facts and the fiction. As I've already let the cat out of the bag a bit and let you know that self-regulation is not a skill that can be taught. Instead, it is the product of maturation. And as we're all well aware, maturation is not guaranteed. 
It is also something that cannot be taught. There's not some magic trick that suddenly helps your child achieve true maturation. The only thing that's truly guaranteed is growing older, but not growing more mature. Now, yes, we can coerce more mature behavior out of children, and sometimes that can work, particularly if they're going into a situation that requires more advanced maturity than they currently have. So we can prompt a child to behave in a more mature fashion, but that's not true maturity, and that's not lasting. And that is very volatile. It will go away when a child is in a situation where they lose their ability to kind of act more mature because they're frustrated, because they're scared, because they're anxious. So where does this magical self-regulation that just spontaneously develops through maturation, where does it come from? How does it develop? Well, developmental psychology tells us that it develops through something that developmental psychologist Dr. Gordon Neufeld whom much of this information comes from, the studies that I have done through the Gordon Neufeld Institute, the Neufeld Institute based in Vancouver, BC. A lot of the research around the development of self-regulation, the ability to kind of control an impulse to just react and fly off the handle, Dr. Neufeld, he refers to this as integrative functioning, which is the ability to mix feelings And it's something that has to develop within a child. It develops from the inside. It's not something that can be taught from the outside. And now I'm going to go into a bit more of why. And the main reason is because children have to reach a certain stage of maturity for this to even be able to occur, this integrative functioning, this mixed feelings. So I'm going to go into a little bit of when this typically develops and why sometimes it doesn't develop on schedule. So the first thing has to do with age. Young children, toddlers and preschoolers, young children are one feeling, one emotion at a time creatures. When they're happy, they are happy. When they're sad, they are sad. When they're mad, they're mad. When they're feeling loving, you know it. And when they're frustrated, of course, it's evident because that's when you see the big tantrums. There's no gray area or in between or on the other hand, thinking for a very young child. They experience one emotion at a time and they move on pretty quickly from emotion to emotion, but that's because they're not wading through a storm of mixed emotions. That ability, the ability to have more than one emotion at a time and be able to mix those feelings and those emotions. That is the key to self-regulation. And that's something that's only attainable until, it's not attainable until about the ages of five to seven for your typically developing children, or between seven to nine for more highly sensitive, the so-called orchid types of children, due to the intensity with which they experience emotions. It takes them a little longer to achieve this because they still get flooded with overwhelming feelings. It's hard for them to make space for more than one emotion at a time. So how do we foster the development of this integrative functioning, this ability to have more than one emotion at a time and to mix those feelings in children, the key to emotional maturity? Well, as I've already stated, maturity occurs spontaneously. And it occurs only when children's needs are met. The attachment needs to be in place. Kids should not be having to work for their attachment needs to be met. And maturity cannot take place if a child is actively working to try and get their needs met. Maturity also can't be hurried up. 
nor again, is it guaranteed only growing older is guaranteed. And I think many of us could think about adults in our life who are incredibly immature, who maybe are on a maturity level, not much beyond a five or six or seven year old. And it may be that they are not very developed when it comes to their integrative functioning, their mixing of conflicting feelings. So how do you support a child and their emotional health and maturity? Again, in my studies at the Newfeld Institute, many different courses, I came across what Newfeld refers to as the five steps of emotional maturity are expressing, naming, feeling, mixing, and reflecting. And again, mixing, the fourth one I mentioned, is the key when we're talking about self-regulation and the development of that in children. So going through those steps and breaking them down a little bit, unpacking them a bit, the first one, expressing. So a young child, or really any person, but a young child is at the point before they have the words for things, they're just expressing, they're expressing these feelings and emotions. And so it's really, really important that we as parents make space for this expression of emotion, that we don't banish a child to their room or make it not okay to express a full range of emotions that they have. Step two, naming. So now when a child starts developing language, or even before they maybe are speaking the language themselves, and we know that they understand them, you as the parent, when the child is expressing their emotions or expressing the feelings inside, you help by making sense of these emotions for them, by naming them. You're teaching the language of emotion to your child, who may be too young to have the words for themselves, or may be too overwhelmed by emotions to be able to access and name them. So we as parents and caregivers can name what we're seeing. You're frustrated. You're feeling really embarrassed right now. You're disappointed. You're teaching the language of emotion and that second stage naming. It's important for children to understand what these emotions are that they're experiencing. And we help that by providing a name for them. The third step is feeling. And this is so incredibly essential. So your toddler, your preschool age, as they're making their way towards around age five, six, they need to not only know the emotions, but they have to feel them. A lot of times people get feelings and emotions mixed up or they think that they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. Feelings are the conscious feedback of emotions. Emotions are the drivers. Emotions are what drive us to change or to seek shelter. Emotion drives us. Feelings are the conscious feedback and those which kind of help us do. They're the ones that kind of help us put action to these emotions that are driving us. So it's essential that parents make it safe for children to feel all their emotions, especially those that are most vulnerable. Now, again, your highly sensitive child might struggle to feel the very vulnerable feelings and they get stuck sometimes in aggression in an attempt to try and not feel those vulnerable feelings, those vulnerable emotions that are underlying their outbursts. They get struck in, they get stuck in that aggression, or they get stuck in trying to change the things in life that can't be changed. Again, in an attempt not to feel the emotion that is really overwhelming for them. So you need to make it safe for your child to feel those feelings and also get out of the habit of 
making feelings be labeled with good and bad. A lot of times we have raised our children to believe that you just have to think happy thoughts. You have to put those negative or hard or vulnerable emotions away out of our minds and stop them and replace them with positive thoughts, happy feelings. And that's not helpful for a child. We sometimes feel sad. We sometimes feel embarrassed. We sometimes feel remorse. And those are not pleasant feelings, but they're essential. And children have to be able to feel those feelings and not avoid them to be able to reach emotional maturity. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. The fourth step, and this is the one that's the key again to developing self-regulation, integrative functioning. The fourth step is mixing. And again, that happens somewhere between ages from five to seven, because that's when the brain is able to actually go there. So the brain is doing a lot of growth, particularly in the feeling center of the brain. And children, they're able to now have more than one emotion, conflicting emotions at the same time. So the mixing that happens can start happening between ages five to seven for most children. Or again, for the highly sensitive, we wouldn't really see this real consistently until closer to age seven to nine for the highly sensitive. So this becomes evident because you start to see children show some degree of self-control. They don't just have an emotion to react. They, in the face of big emotions, you start to see them developing the mixing of feelings. And this is so essential for development of self-regulation. It's not essential. It is the answer to where that comes from, that integrative functioning, the ability to feel more than one feeling at a time. So we as parents need to see it and acknowledge it and know what's going on and also draw attention to it. I'll go into that a little bit more now. When your child gets the stage of being able to have a really big feeling, but then not react. So for example, a young child gets frustrated or mad at us or a sibling or a playmate, and they just react and they hit or they grab or they throw or they push or they yell something. They do the, I hate you's, I want you to die, those types of explosions of emotion. When a child starts developing these mixed feelings, they might get just as frustrated, but they also can hold on to caring feelings at the same time. They're mad at their parent for saying, no, you can't have that cookie right now. It's too close to dinner time. And instead of just reacting and screaming and yelling and I hate you, they remember they can also at the same time hold on to the caring feelings. Okay, I don't like what my mom just said to me. I couldn't have that cookie, but I still love her. And so I'm not gonna hit her. I'm not gonna yell at her. I'm gonna say, okay, fine and just kind of go on my day and not have a reaction that might be very hurtful because it's very impulsive. This happened, my third born child, who's pretty intense. And when she was at about the age between four and five, she became really stuck in aggression. She, there were, she had no capacity to mix feelings. Again, she's very, very sensitive. She still sometimes is not able to mix her emotions. She's eight now. But she's been growing in this capacity. And I saw it for the very first time, and it gave me hope oh my gosh, we're not going to be stuck in this really, this constant flood of overwhelming emotions in this child forever. It gave me hope. And so this is when I first saw it. 
She was jumping on a trampoline with her brother and her older brother knows how to kind of poke the bear and set off my daughter, Maisie. And in this one particular day, she was jumping. He said something annoying or he kind of interrupted her play. She got really frustrated and she said, I don't like that. And she stormed off and she came to find me and she told me what had happened. And a day or two ago, she would have lashed out. She would have hit him. She would become very aggressive. But in this moment, she didn't do that. And she came and told me what had happened. And now, granted, we'd talked a lot about what do you do next time when you get frustrated with your brother? What We talked a lot about this in the aftermath of a lot of her explosions, but she'd never been able to actually achieve them. And I wouldn't have expected her to at that point. I just kind of was rehearsing what she could do one day when she did have the capacity to control her outbursts. She came and told me what happened. And I didn't even really pay attention to the story or I don't get sucked into my kids to try and be like, oh yeah, he's wrong. I'm gonna go get him in trouble. I just listened to my kids as they explained things to me. But I didn't even talk about what you know my son had done that had annoyed my daughter on the trampoline. I just went immediately to, oh my gosh, I am so excited about what you just told me because you controlled yourself. You didn't hit, you didn't kick, you didn't scream, you didn't have a huge aggressive outburst with your brother. You told him you didn't like what he was doing and you left and you came to told me. That is so exciting. And I explained to Maisie that she had just experienced mixed feelings. I said, oh my gosh, you were so mad and frustrated, but at the same time you remembered that you love your brother and you care about him. And even though you're really mad at him right now, you didn't let the fact that you were mad at him override the fact that you care about him and you love him, even though he frustrates you sometimes. And you didn't have an outburst. And I am so excited. You just had your first mixed feelings. And she looked at me with these wide eyes, kind of like, okay, tell me more. And I explained this to her in more detail so she could understand it. And then we had a big hug and a celebration. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. You're starting to mix emotions. That's a really big deal. That's a really big kid thing to be able to do. I want you to let me know the next time you know you did it. And sure enough, later on that day, she came running to me again. Mom, I just had mixed feelings again. Something else had happened with one of the siblings. I don't even know what it was at this point. There's so many opportunities for children to practice this in my household with four kids that I lose track of the small details sometimes. But the point is, she was starting to identify her ability to hold on to one, more than one emotion, more than one feeling at a time and not react, that she could mix her feelings. You can explain this to children and make sense of it for them, draw attention to it, Again, that is not going to make it happen, but making sense of that for kids can help them have some understanding so that when they are able to mix their feelings and have that integrated function happen, they can celebrate it. And even more so, you as a parent who are trying to make sense of your child, it is a huge time for you to celebrate because it's evidence that your child is maturing. It's evidence that your child is getting unstuck from more immature behaviors and making their way into more mature behaviors, which is something worth celebrating, particularly if you have a very intense child that has a lot of explosions of emotions frequently. The fifth step after they reach the stage where they can mix emotions and they have that self-regulation, that self-control, the fifth step is reflecting. And that's something you see in a child who has a pretty good ability to mix their emotions. And that is the ability to reflect back on big emotional feelings, and make sense of them, and make amends if necessary, if, some, if they did something wrong, to take responsibility when needed, to kind of reflect on a really hard time and kind of identify 
and name those underlying emotions that drove certain behaviors. And then also helps them when they do lose their mix, they're not able to control themselves from lashing out. It can help them think back and identify and kind of strengthen that muscle of mixing emotions when necessary. So now that I've kind of gone through the five steps that are the keys to emotional maturity and that number four, the mixing, again, is the key to children being able to have self-regulation. It's important to identify that not all children develop integrative functioning on schedule. And some kids lose, they might have it, but then they lose their ability to mix feelings. And that can happen for a variety of reasons I'm going to go into now. So once the child has reached the stage of development and they are able to mix their emotions and they're able to control themselves from having big explosions or aggressive outbursts, sometimes something will stop that from happening. And they go back to that one emotion at a time stage and those big emotional reactions to things where they don't have the ability to kind of think, okay, well, I care about this person, so I'm not going to lash out at them. I'm just going to say I don't like what they're doing and move on with life. So sometimes those outside factors can be stress. There's a lot of stress right now with COVID-19, with families being home, working at home, schooling at home, jobs and securities, the state of our world in terms of politics, a lot of things going on in terms of race relations, that's causing a lot of stress. And that can cause sometimes children and adults, frankly, to lose their mix. They're experiencing anxiety. If a child has a, like an increase in anxiety, they can lose their mix. Some type of a big change within a family, like a divorce or separation between the parents, illness or death in a family can cause there to be a loss of the ability to mix feelings for a period of time. It can come back. But the feelings and the ability to feel all those feelings needs to come back first to be able to mix the feelings again. There's other times, and it has to do again with development, when integrative functioning or the ability to mix feelings goes offline. And this happens when a child enters adolescence. Now, toddlers and teens are similar in their struggle with being able to find their mix. And there's a good reason for that. There's a lot that we know about brains and what they do during adolescence. And it has to do with the pruning of lots of neural pathways that are unnecessary. During adolescence, the brain does this reorganization and it kind of prunes away unnecessary information and makes a way for the necessary information to become even more ingrained in deeper neural pathway grooves to be created. Then you throw into the mix, of course, hormones, and that can cause, that mixed with the pruning that's going on, can cause adolescents to have kind of the state of overload. And part of what gets impacted is the limbic system, which of course is where the emotional controls are in our brain. So this is why teens get the stereotype for being moody or flying off the handle, having huge mood swings, or sometimes really out of whack reactions to things that are relatively small. The sky is always falling for a teenager in this stage. Everything is always a crisis. So understanding that this is because of what's going on for adolescents developmentally does help parents to recognize that this is not necessarily intentional and for parents to kind of have more empathy for what's going on for the child and not make a child feel shamed when they're really struggling to control their emotional reactions to 
really, really big emotions, having these huge, you know, this explosion of feelings and having these huge reactions to them. This is a temporary thing for adolescents. It usually kind of resolves within a two to three year time frame, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter based on the temperament of your particular child. But things will return to children will be able to regain their capacity to have the self-regulation, that mixing of feelings with optimal development, two to three-ish years. So what do you do if your child loses their mix or it's not developed in them and it's beyond the age when you typically see it? Well, again, like I shared, they may have never developed it because they're not the age range where children are even capable of having self-regulation. So if they're under the age of five, or if they're these real highly sensitive children and they're under the age of seven, it's just something that they've not been able to develop yet and it might take a little longer to get there. During this period of time, when your child has not even reached the stage of development, when you'd expect to see this kicking in, you, the parent, the caregiver, you are the answer. You can co-regulate with your child and make it safe for them to express, to name, to feel their emotions. You come beside your child and their big emotions and feelings, and you are somewhat of a guide to listen to them and comfort them when the time is right. Notice that I did not say you co-regulate and calm them down. You're there basically to help walk them through those steps of emotional maturity before they can do it for themselves. So you make it safe to express those emotions. You don't punish them. You don't increase their frustration. All right. Now, if your child has the capacity but is maybe left lost it temporarily, maybe because they're going through a period of increased stress or anxiety or a big change for them in their family or in their environment. Don't try to make progress when they're having this kind of loss of a mix. Don't try to make progress, meaning don't try and teach a lesson to your child or attempt to calm them down. And like I said in the previous little bit, if your child is not yet to that stage yet, or if they've lost it, do not unintentionally or intentionally Increase frustration by put downs, shaming a child for having a big reaction, or punishing them, or joining your child in their roller coaster ride of emotions. None of that is going to help. So instead, similarly to if your child had never developed this stage yet, try to help them express their emotions, try to help them access the underlying vulnerable feelings underlying this explosion, and then try and draw out those tears, get them to the vulnerable underlying emotion that is kind of at the root that's driving this explosion. And then later you can revisit what was happening. Later you can talk through why they lost their mix. What was the overwhelm that caused it? But only once some time has passed, everybody has calmed down and it's clear that there is connection and attachment that has been restored. Then you can go back and you can walk your child through reflecting on their emotions. You could talk about how, you know, I know you lost it. I know you didn't mean to yell and scream and be insulting. Draw out the good intentions. I know that happened and you didn't intend to do that. You intended to have a calm conversation, but you were so frustrated that you lost your ability to negotiate or talk through things calmly. The mix will return, but you do have to sometimes backstep to get there. Now, if a child is really stuck, and they cannot mix their emotions, they always are one feeling at a time, or they don't allow themselves to feel the underlying really, really vulnerable feelings, you do need to kind of step back in terms of going through the process of really working on your attachment with them. 
reclaiming them again and softening their hearts, helping them access those very vulnerable feelings. And then again, go through those steps again of making it safe to express, helping them make sense and naming the emotions, and then making it safe for them to feel those feelings. If a child, again, is really stuck, another thing you can do is you can find a way through the back door for them to access those more vulnerable feelings. And that might be to watch a sad or really touching movie together, or maybe looking at a movie where there's a tremendous amount of loss and separation experienced by the characters. Books also, besides movies, music, a way in which feelings can be evoked within a person, but it's not personal. So it feels a little bit safer to go there. That can be helpful. So this is kind of the big overview. And hopefully it's been helpful to kind of talk through where that ability to self-regulate comes from. It's not magic. When it happens, it feels magical, but it's not magic. And again, it's not something that can be taught. You can teach about it, but in the teaching about mixed feelings, the teaching about integrated functioning does not make it just happen. So it's okay if you've bought the books and the calm down corners and even if you've got the same article where there's this video game that's going to magically create your child to be able to have self-regulation occur within them. So I'm not saying that that's all bad, but just recognize that that is not going to make it just suddenly appear within your child. So there might be a better place for you to spend your money or your energies, but understanding where it's coming from so that you can help your child get there by the earlier steps that lead up to the mixing of emotions, which is at the center and the key. I've put in my show notes some more references that you can refer to that speak more about this integrative functioning and some more resources a lot through the Newfeld Institute or articles written by people who are on the faculty of the Newfeld Institute. So you can kind of get some more information from the resources that I've drawn from to get this information today. Hope this was helpful. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.